Happy Easter, everybody. It's so good to see you. Now, I grew up in, an, in a Baptist church up in Tacoma, and they would say, he is risen. Okay, so some of you either grew up in Baptist church or a church much like that and knew the response to it. But if you didn't, and that was the first time you heard it, you, the, the, the person up front would say, he is risen, and you would respond, he is risen indeed, to kind of you know give that little punch, that little emphasis. So we're going to try it one more time, if it's okay with you guys. Okay with you guys? Awesome. Here we go. Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen. Indeed. We could pretty much stop right there, pray, get the worship team back up here, and that's the important message of today. But, you know, to do justice to the story, uh, we want to make sure we, we dive in and take a look. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 today. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, we would love for you to open them up. That way you can jot down notes or highlight things. If you don't have a copy of God's Word uh, you just don't even own one. Back on our grab a Bible table, we actually have uh, Bibles there, and we want to invite you to go back there, grab one of those. You can put your name in it, make it your own. Uh, that's a gift from us to you. Um, it's one of those things that we just want to make sure that everybody that wants a copy of God's Word in their hand actually has one, because hopefully you're opening this up throughout the week. Uh, that's the goal, is, is it's not just on a Sunday morning. So, Real quick, uh, just you guys know, a lot of you know, because you've been in church for years, um, kind of as if we look to establish the backstory of Jesus, who he was, kind of what he, he we know that his life was powerful. I've, I've preached, I've sat through and received, been on the receiving end of so many sermons and series on Jesus' life, what he did. And it's incredible. And really, it gives us the basis of how you and I should want to grow, right? We're probably not doing as many miracles, I'll give you that. But a lot of the other interactions, that's how we need to be as people. And so my goal every day is to become a little bit more like Jesus Christ, leaving my own life behind and looking more like my Savior. And that's my encouragement most Sundays, if not every Sunday, from the stage is Take what you're hearing today, apply it to your life, look a little bit more like Jesus tomorrow, okay? And if you do that, we're heading in the right direction. And so that's my goal. We know his life was powerful. Uh, it, it Maybe you're not, maybe this morning you're here and you're not really familiar with church. And we're going to talk a lot about Jesus today. Um, Jesus uh, is God, we believe, fully God, fully man, who came to this earth. And again, we'll get more into that story. But we believe that he was God, but he was born of God to a virgin. So when you hear the Catholics especially elevating Mary and people giving Mary a lot of respect, and, and rightfully so in the sense of she carried God in her womb for nine months, right? I mean, this is an incredible part of the story that we don't want to overlook. Mary was a virgin. She had not uh, had relations with any man, and she carried Jesus Christ in her womb and birthed him. So he was born of God. He is God, but he was born of God, meaning he was born of the plan that was set forth before the foundation of the world. And that's pretty awesome. So we talked about it already, 100% God, 100% man. He was God in flesh. The man, Jesus Christ, right, was fully man, and yet he was fully God. One of those things that we, as soon as we feel like we're starting to understand, we'll think of another nuance or variance in that, and it blows our minds, okay? And if that's what happens in your mind, you're, you're right with everybody else, because it's one of those things that we can explain to people and still not fully understand, because it's crazy. Jesus Christ, 
right? The son of God was present at creation, okay? And yet he was born of the Virgin Mary about 2,000 years ago. I can't explain that to you, but I know it to be true. And he, he ministered with Holy Spirit and with God the Father throughout the Old Testament since creation, Etc. Etc. Again, we can talk about all these. He was fully man. He was tempted in every way, and yet he never sinned. Right? We're tempted. We know that we shouldn't do or think or say what we're about to do or think or say, but we do it anyways. Right? If you're like me, temptation comes and we sin. Right? And our goal is to sin less often, not because that saves us, because that doesn't. Jesus Christ and what He did on Friday is what saves us. Amen. Amen. But we want to look more like Jesus. So my goal is to sin less so that I look more like Jesus, that I can bring honor and glory to my heavenly father, right? Jesus being fully man was tempted in every way. We don't want to diminish that. Some people are like, well, he didn't sin because he was God. Well, that's true, but he was tempted as any man would. And yet he was perfect. He was sinless. So he's a great example for us. We know that his ministry was powerful. We talked about that already. Loved looking at the big, you know, miracles. Uh, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. Um, the testimonies in the four gospels are just incredible to hear these stories of what our savior did. He fed thousands of people with just, a, I mean, I feel great when we have enough donuts to make sure everybody gets one on a Sunday morning, right? That wants one. Jesus, he comes in, he takes a few fish and a couple of loaves and he feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children, right? And, and so these are miracles. These are huge things that people witnessed. And then it was written about and Jesus did that. He drove out demons and then he forgave sin. He would, he would heal people and then he would forgive sins and they would say, well, you can't forgive sin. Only God can do that. And he was like, well, I am God, but okay. And he said, what is easier for me to do? Say that you are forgiven of your sins or to tell this man who's never walked that he can walk. And, and, and then he would heal the guy and people would be speechless, right? He did some incredible things. As Pastor Brian and Kevin, who are preaching down in the, at the Lacey campus this morning, uh, as the three of us talked this week, we talked about the small ways that Jesus showed us some great things. And, and yet, really, the more I think about that all day Friday, all day Saturday, as I was praying and preparing for today, these small ways really aren't small. They're pretty incredible. Uh, the first one we pointed out was the way he loved kids. We have multiple examples in the Bible of Jesus stopping the ministry that was going on to engage with somebody who was smaller, younger, right? That showed interest in him. He loved well. He was gracious to sinners. I want to be a church that is gracious to sinners. I'm going to preach the truth, but I'm going to do it in such a way that it's in love. And I'm going to love on you no matter where you are at. Right? And I'm going to be that example that Jesus was. He shared meals along that same line. He shared meals with people who the religious leaders of that day would say, you should not be eating and associating with those people. That should be the prayer of our life. We need to keep our focus on Christ, living for Christ, and have people say, why would you spend time with those people, those sinners, whatever the situation might be? That's what Jesus did. Because he wanted to love them and show them the right way to live. It was incredible. His life and his ministry, it created 
all kinds of firestorms politically because there was a whole group of people that wanted him to help raise Israel up to get out of the oppressive thumb of Rome. Okay. The Romans, the empire had, had taken over that area and they were under the oppressive uh, weight of the Romans, high taxation, lack of freedom. And they thought Jesus is the kind of guy that could lead this revolution. And all the way up to the cross, even the disciples, his closest friends, in their mind had, had said, this is what Jesus is here for. There was also a religious firestone storm that was going on, right? Because the religious leaders of that day saw Jesus as a threat. They had a nice little cushy system set up. Rome allowed them to exist. They would, they would get money from their people. They were kind of in this nice little groove. And what Jesus was doing is he was saying, no, God exists outside the temple. God is for everyone. And those kind of statements got him in trouble with the religious leaders of his day. And ultimately those, those firestorms, those things, those tensions led to his death. And some of you came down on Friday. We had a, a Good Friday service in Lacey, and you attended that with us. Uh, the rest of you probably saw stuff on Facebook, or you talked about it at home. But on Friday, Jesus died, right? And, and we celebrate that in a somber way, but it was necessary, and it wasn't a surprise. But we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, the brutal crucifixion, because that was necessary to appease God's judgment on sin, okay? And so we look at something like that, so tragic, and yet so mysteriously beautiful, right? And so we process through that on, on Good Friday. And this was tough for the people even in that day because his followers, like I said, had hoped that he would save them. He talked about saving them, and they thought it was going to be saving them from Rome, Right, And they looked forward to this revolution that he was going to lead, and yet he died. Right, Death doomed that prospect. Right, That wasn't going to happen anymore. His death was doomsday for their hopes. And so we find a group of people here that was likely discouraged on Sunday morning. They were depressed, right? These people had high hopes and Jesus had somehow let them down. A guy who hadn't let them down for three years was dead. His death took them in a way back to their pre-Jesus life. Did everything Jesus say and do, was it not true? Like they, they were questioning. They knew what he had said, but they weren't sure where they were at. And then Easter morning happens. Now, this isn't like your and my Easter morning, right? We get up on Easter mornings or Sunday mornings, let's say in general, but just Easter morning, we get up, we have our cup of coffee. You know, we make that thing first thing. All right, now I'm ready to talk to you guys, right? We put on our clothes, our nice clothes, especially on Easter. You know, maybe even this morning you got up and had a big breakfast. I don't know. You might have, right? And maybe an, even a pre-church egg hunt or whatever. Well, this morning was frenzied and panicked and frantic. And as we look at this story, you're going to see that. And, and the pace is going to quicken and, and it's going to result in running, right? And my heart starts just beating a little bit faster even talking about it. Because I do get so excited about this passage in Matthew uh, 28, right? 
And some of you may be sitting out there with young kids because my four kids at one point were like six and under, seven and under, four kids in that age range. That sounds more like a typical Sunday morning to me, right? The frantic, the panic, the getting kids out the door. So it may not be as relaxed as it is now uh, since all my kids have grown, but it, 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 is, it is one of those mornings we're going to see here for Jesus' followers. The frenzied and urgent events on this first Easter morning are, are going to encourage us to run, run well, to become followers of Jesus Christ that are on mission. So let's look into this story to find hope, encouragement, and motivation to run. We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. And we're going to pause right there. And we see Mary and Mary, they know where Jesus is buried, and they're going to the tomb to take care of things that weren't able to be done on Friday, because Friday led into the Sabbath where no work was to be done, and and so they were in a hurry to bury Jesus. There wasn't a lot of help. We know the disciples all dispersed, except for John, right? And, and, And so he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and so the ladies show up on Sunday morning, and they're gonna prepare the body in a way that it would be prepared in that day to lay in that tomb, Right, And all of a sudden, though, Matthew writes, there was this supernatural earthquake event, right? We're going to hear about an angel, and then we're going to hear about this stone that is moved. Again, if you have any uh, experience in church, you know there was a large stone, probably thousands of pounds, rolled into place into a divot in the ground, so it wasn't easily moved. Well, that stone is going to be moved. Um, and, And so some of you have actually probably been to the Middle East and maybe even been been to a couple of places that I'm going to show you really quick uh, just to get an idea, though. Um, There are two different places. There's three, really, but two that probably have the the most weight of where his tomb may be. Uh, And one of them is the the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And this is a church that has been built around what they believe to be uh, the tomb of Jesus. So they've dug away rock, They've actually cleared out Rock Mountain to build this church around the tomb. And, and so people come, I know, I'm sorry, it's an awful picture. I should be able to do better than this. But anyways, people come in and they go in and they're able to see where they believe the body of Jesus lay. Now the second one, the one I grew up seeing more pictures of or hearing about or usually the artist's renditions of are uh, more like the garden tomb. And again, this is another place where they believe that, that there's a group of people that believe this is actually the tomb where Jesus was probably buried. Um, and so I don't know for sure. But what I do know is both of these tombs, unlike many others in that region, both of these tombs sit empty. Okay? Sunday morning happened. Easter morning happened. Our Savior was resurrected. I'm not sure exactly the location of the tomb, but it doesn't make this story any less viable. Right? So either way, they're both empty. Praise God, Sunday morning happens. But the first thing that the author Matthew points out is this crazy supernatural event of an earthquake. Mary and Mary are walking to the tomb and they experience an earthquake. 
okay? I don't know how many of you were here February 28th of 2001. I know we have a heavy military community, so people are kind of coming and going. But we had a big earthquake here. How many of you guys remember that earthquake? Oh, one. I see some hands out there. We had a few people that were here. It's the people that I thought, the ones that I've known for 20 years that live here. Um, I was living here in DuPont. Gwen was at work. Okay. And, and she was pregnant with our third child. So I was home with our two uh, and a half, maybe and one and a half year olds. And I had put them in their room, right, for a little nap. And I had gone and gotten the shower. And all of a sudden the house starts just quaking. And, and I know sometimes I might, people might look at me and, and hear my stories and think you're embellishing things because I like to tell stories. It, for these people that, rose the, that raised their hand also, they can tell you this is no embellishment. These houses were rocking, right? And I live in a quadrant home, so it's going to be moving, right? That thing was swaying and I'm in the shower and all I'm thinking about is I'm here alone. My two little kids are in their room. I believe they were in a crib and a playpen because I was taking this quick shower. So I like jump out of, and the house is still rolling, right? I jump out and I throw a towel and I'm drying off and grab some shorts and that was it. Like I didn't have anything else. And I grab my two kids and I'm still going out of the house and things are swaying and I get out into my front yard and there are dogs running everywhere. And there are people running around and I'm just holding Noah and I'm holding Ethan close. And I'm thinking about my wife. I'm thinking about what, what just happened here. This thing was crazy. And it would definitely add to confusion, panic, and chaos. And Mary and Mary are moving towards the tomb. And this takes place. It's hard to really understand what's going on. You know it's an earthquake. But you've you got a lot of things in your brain going, what is happening? And how can I make sure that everybody I love is safe? Right? There's emotion tied to that. And then to make things better or worse, they see an angel, right? An angel. They see this angel and let's look at what it says his appearance looked like. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. So Matthew again is telling this story based on the account of the women, based on what he saw, what he heard. And we see this description of an angel. Now there are descriptions of angels throughout the Bible. Uh, and, and if, nothing else. They are different than us. Some of the descriptions are pretty intense. This one here, it sounds like he looked like a man, but his appearance was like lightning and his clothing is white as snow. And this was truly supernatural and spectacular, right? The words on the page can hardly do justice to what these women are seeing. I think sometimes we just breeze over it. Mary and Mary, they see an angel and we just keep moving, And yet I think if an angel walked in or every account in the Bible where a man encounters an angel, they fall flat on their face. Okay. And I think if an angel walked in here, a lot of us, if not all of us would do the same thing. And yet these women, right? Praise God for women. They were at least able to keep their feet. Right. And so now they're engaging with this angel. And and so when I was thinking about this, I started thinking about lightning. Right. And one time Gwen and I were taken off out of Las Vegas and there was a lightning storm going on. And this plane was silent. Okay. We don't travel a lot. But you know kind of just the humdrum of, of, of a flight. You hear people talking. There are things going on. This was silent. This was a big storm, right? And for guys that don't fly very often, I think I was, I was gripping pretty tight to that little handrail or the rest on this side and my wife's knee on this side, right? And I'm looking out the window 
and these lightning bolts feel like I could reach out and grab them. Right? I mean, that's how close they are. This is going crazy around me. And, and of course, I'm like, I'm up here in this, this, you know, aluminum can, and I don't even know how it's up here. Like, it's been explained to me before, but I don't get it. How this thing's in the air with all of us people. And there's lightning out there, and I feel like I could grab it. One other time I was golfing right over here in Oak Brook, uh, and, and there was a lightning storm. And I, I promise you, I'm not exaggerating. It's like from here to that back wall, a lightning bolt hit a tree. And, and, and it, I saw it, and that was crazy. So my point here is, if it's being described, this, this angel looked like lightning. Now, for me at least, when I've been that close to lightning, even though I'm not even that close, it was kind of awe-inspiring, right? I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, this is intense. This is crazy. The second thing was that, that they wrote is that he was, it was bright as the snow, right? And this made me think of, of some of my friends who have done some mountaineering. They actually happen to be here this morning, but I didn't talk to them ahead of time about it, so I won't give any names. But I love their pictures when they're up on Mount Rainier and they're heading up to Muir and, and they're taking on the mountain. The pictures of the snow when the sun's hitting it is so bright, right? And they're always wearing their sunglasses and I'm like, oh yeah, they look cool in that picture. They're not looking cool. They're not wearing them, I should say, to look cool. They're wearing them because the snow is so bright, right? It's blinding. And again, this is the brightness that they're talking about. And then we see, and for fear of him, right, before Mary and Mary get there, but for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Real quick, I want to tell you, these guards that were there were not just like the cheap, uh, you know, mall cop. This wasn't Paul Blart, right? These were the top guards of the day. It was a mix of Roman elite forces. So some of you are special forces out there, right? It was you guys. It was, it was the, the really, the really cool guys, right? These guys knew how to do what they, what, what they needed to be done, right? These guys were good. And then it was the elite, uh, temple guards, right? So there was a mixture of the religious and the political guards there guarding the tomb. We know that, right? These guys weren't afraid of anything, that's why they put them there. They didn't want the, the disciples or any followers of Jesus Christ to be able to steal the body. So they put them there. These men knew what they were doing. And in some ways, their reputation, their life even potentially, uh, their job depended on them guarding this tomb. And yet we see here that the angel appears and they become frightened like little boys. They faint. That's no knock on any of the boys that are in here. I'm talking about the little, little ones. They're in the nursery right now. They faint, right? They're so scared of this angel that shows up, right? They're not dead. We know that because in a few verses, we'll see that they give a report on that. Let's keep moving forward and we'll we'll see that. In verse 5, it says, But the angel said to the women, Don't be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he laid. So the women here, like I said, are, are still wide awake. The men get knocked out. They're scared. The angel, the earthquake, and yet the, the women here, right? Probably the tougher gender. We've talked about that before here, right? The strength that comes from a woman is there to engage. Because they were there to take care of business, Right? They needed to get in there, get the body prepped, get out of there, and, and try to move on with life. And I say try because this was, this was a very difficult thing. But the angel calms them down. Don't be afraid. Right? Don't be afraid. 
Angels always say that, and yet again, every time a man encounters an angel, they faint, right? We've seen that throughout scripture. Here, we see these women engaging with the angel, and, and he says, don't be afraid. Jesus, whom you are seeking, right? The one who was crucified, he's done what he said he was going to do. He is risen. Come see the place where he lay. They get, he gives them an invitation. Come in and see the place. Verse 7, then, he continues on, the angel, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. I love this. Go quickly and tell the others, right? Tell them he is alive. Tell them he is going to meet you in Galilee. The women's pace has quickened, right? They're running here. You've seen now go tell others. They departed quickly and ran. They started running to tell the others. Have you ever ran to sell somebody good news? Have you ever ran to tell somebody good news, right? You, you got this news you can't keep, and you see a friend, and you run, right? Well, they had to run a little bit further. This was quite a ways uh, from where the disciples were hiding, uh, hiding out out of fear of the Romans and the religious leaders of the day. And, and so they ran, and they ran with fear and great joy. It's a, a powerful mixture to have hope and yet fear at the same time. One of the things Brian brought up this week is he kind of equated it to, to buying a home, right? There's some fear and yet some hope, right? When you're purchasing a home, it's a lot of money and, and you're kind of going into the unknown, especially your first home, right? Uh, and I was thinking where my mind went was like when I pull in at 958 or 959 into the crumble parking lot, right? I'm hoping to get in there in that door before it shuts and I'm hoping that they still have the selection that I want, right? So we were both talking about the idea of running with some fear and great joy, right? Not really sure what's going to happen. I want to get inside there and make sure I get that cookie, right? But you understand what I'm saying. There's a mixture of emotion here that these women ran with. And it says, in verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them, right? So they're running. They're going to tell the disciples. And Jesus couldn't wait, right? He was on his way to Galilee. He was going to Galilee. And from what we'll learn, not necessarily in this account, but other accounts, Jesus could walk through walls. He walked into the locked room. He could move a little bit quicker. His body uh, was a little bit different than the, the form that we are in right now, his resurrected body, right? And here we see in this scene uh, that Matthew is describing, Jesus meets them there. He says, greetings, And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me. So he stops them in his tracks. He loves these women so much that he doesn't want them to be still fearful of the unknown. And so he meets them where they are at and they, they worship him, right? They worship him. And this may seem a little bit strange because the angel had already said, go get the disciples and go to Galilee and Jesus is going to meet you there. To me, that seems like the angel laid out what needed to happen, right? And, and, and so they, they left. They were going to tell the disciples they were going to go. And, and yet Jesus said, I know where their heart is at. 
And so I want to meet them on the way. He wanted to reassure them. He wanted to show them his love for them. This is God's plan, right? And he appears here to the women, and then he's going to appear in Galilee. God esteems those that the culture would have despised. If someone was coming to town to tell good news, they would go to the market square. They would talk to the men of that day. And yet again, we see Jesus elevating what would have been considered the lowly in love. That is good news. There's a lot of good news in this story, and that is definitely good news. Verse 11, it says, while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. See, I told you they weren't dead. They appeared as dead men, but they were still alive. And when they woke up, they went into the city. And when they had assembled with the elders and, and taking counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And even though it continues on there, let's just pause for a second, right? These soldiers now are experiencing their second opportunity of fear for the day. First, they saw the angel and they experienced the earthquake. Now they're going to say, we failed at our job. Jesus, the body, whatever, it's gone. And what we saw was an angel or something like that because we, we fainted. We felt the earthquake, right? And yet they know that this could be a loss of job, if not even worse. And, and some of those guards go back to Jerusalem to talk to the chief priests. Uh, they, this is probably the, the religious guards that we had talked about, um, the temple police. And, and, and the Roman guards, uh, we don't know exactly what they did at this point, but they were, they were entrusted to watch this tomb and, and because of the supernatural experience, they had failed, right? And, and this, this colossal screw-up for the Roman guards would have been a big deal also here. So we see what the elders and the leaders conspire to do. They want to cover it up, right? They want to pay off the soldiers. The same leaders who in Matthew 27, one chapter earlier, said, we would believe in you, Jesus, if you would just come down from the cross, as people mocked Jesus as he hung on the cross, the religious leaders were there too. Hey, you can save others. Why can't you save yourself? And they actually said, come down and we will believe. And yet here we see Jesus did raise from the dead and they still don't believe. And so they want to pay off these soldiers. Matthew 27, 41 and 42 says, so also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him. This is what I was just talking about in Matthew 27. He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. And yet when given the opportunity, they still didn't. And so picking up here in verse 13, it says, and they said, tell people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. The religious leaders promised to take care of these guards if the governor, Pilate, gets upset. Now, it's fascinating that these men put their faith in these weak men to protect them rather than the risen Savior, what they experienced about Jesus that morning already, and yet they took the money 
and they hoped that this cover-up would work. Now, this seems to be a pretty flawed covered-up story because if they were asleep, right, how would they have known the disciples had stolen the body? That's what it says here. Hey, while we were sleeping, the disciples. Now, you could assume that, but they weren't awake to experience that, right? If nobody was awake, how do you know? And that the Roman guards would do the same thing? This cover-up, it's, it's not good. And it's so well known that the author here, Matthew, writes about it. Now, on the other hand, there are thousands of people who Jesus appeared to after his death. And their, tef- their testimony was never refuted. In fact, they were willing to die for their belief in Jesus. Those early disciples, those followers of Christ were put to death by the Romans, by other Jews, because of their belief in Jesus. And yet they never changed the story. The truth versus the hoax, right? It's plain to see if you look into it. Verse 16, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. The women had fulfilled their mission. They got to the disciples. They ran well, right? The disciples are now taking off for Galilee. We looked at the Bible here. We were reading the Bible. And and one of the things that, that stuck out is that this week is that the women ran and now we see the disciples taking off in an urgency going to Galilee and, and Galilee was about 45 to 60 miles depending on the route to get there, right? And, and yet we see that the path, although it not be easy to traverse, was one that these disciples were willing to take to go to see their Savior. The Matthew, uh, his passage here talks about the running uh, for Mary to find the disciples. She found Peter and John. Actually, this was in John's account. Uh, she found Peter and John, and they run back to the tomb. Remember? They take off and they run to the tomb. So Mary and Mary did their job, the disciples running, and now they're heading to Galilee. There's anticipation, there's excitement. And it makes me wonder how that 45 to 60 miles went for these disciples, right? This wasn't an easy jog. I know some of you have done the half marathons and some of you out there have done the marathons, right? And some of you maybe have tried the ultra marathons. I had a friend who did one of those once that I knew. But this is 40 to 60 miles that these disciples ran. I'm guessing they didn't walk slowly. They probably were hustling because they wanted to see Jesus Christ. I bet they made it in record time. And we see that they went to Galilee to see, to find Jesus and when they saw them, so he get, they get to Galilee, and they see Jesus, they worshiped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, uh, so Jesus appears to them, they worship face to face, and yet some doubted, or better translated, some hesitated. The Greek word distazo, right? It, it's hesitation. It's the opposite of running. So we see them run to Galilee to get there, and yet when they see Jesus, some hesitate. 
right? The hesitation doesn't make sense to a runner. And yet that's, that's what happened here to these disciples. I was at a track meet yesterday, and when that gun goes off, they don't hesitate. They fire out of the blocks, right? They're running. If you hesitate, what happens? You lose, right? Okay, well, that's, it, it, they're not going to lose here, but they hesitated. They doubted. And I think sometimes they, when we say doubted, sometimes we, get, we give them a, a little more, um, we don't give them the benefit of the doubt. We, we think that they're doubting seeing Jesus, and that wasn't the case. But they hesitated. The only other time this word is used in the Bible was, uh, is in reference to the story where Peter walks on the water. Remember the stormy night? Jesus walks on the water, calms the sea. He invites Peter to come out of the boat. And Peter's walking on the water. Okay? He's moving towards Jesus. And then he distazos. He hesitates. He looks at the waves and says, I shouldn't be able to do this right? I should be sinking. And he takes his eyes off the savior, savior and he sinks. And, and yet Jesus reaches down and rescues him. The same word, hesitation. Why did you hesitate is what Jesus says. Why did you doubt to Peter? Hesitation, like I said, though, is understandable. They saw Jesus die. They experienced Friday and yet they're hearing the good news of Sunday morning. They saw their savior, they saw their hope be put to death. You and I, we hesitate too. We doubt also. Those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and say, we believe in Jesus Christ and the salvation that he provided. We believe the truths of the Bible. We still doubt because we don't do everything that it says, everything that we're called to do. We hesitate sometimes. Not knowing or believing, or at least not acting in a way that shows the belief. Jesus forgave or provided forgiveness of our sins for God the Father with this act. And all we have to do is believe and then live in that truth. And yet sometimes we hesitate. We put barriers up in our own lives. We've hurt too much uh, to believe that God would love us in the condition that we're in. Maybe we think we've done too much bad stuff that God could never or would never want to forgive me. Or that I can't forgive myself. And so we hesitate. We live through a, uh, some pain or a tragedy in our life. And we wonder if God is really there, how could he allow this to happen? There's hesitations that we have in our life. And yet, just like Peter, who hesitated on the water, and just like the disciples who hesitated when they saw him, this doesn't turn God away from us. He's right there with us, and he's ready to reach out his hand to you even today as well. This is good news you can know today that your sins are forgiven. And so we need to run to Jesus like the women did this morning, like the men did to Galilee. The time is now. The matter is urgent. And it can change and will change your life. And here we see Matthew will close this section and really his, his, uh, his book here, the letter that he wrote with a great commission because it's going to, he's going to show us what we are running towards. 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I I love this closing that Matthew puts in his book, The Great Commission. We are to be used by God to make other disciples. It's not just Pastor Dave and myself that are to share the good news. It's not just the, the, the teachers, the wonderful teachers that volunteer to teach your kids every Sunday about Jesus Christ. It's not just them. We have been called to share this good news with our family, with our kids, with our spouse, with our unbelieving uh, extended family, with our neighbors, with our coworkers, with our boss, to share his love and good news. To teach others about Jesus. We are on mission. The same mission that started with the women running to the tomb. And the men running to Galilee. Are you living that out? That's a question you can ask yourself this morning. And even this week. Or do you live as a person who hesitates a lot? Well I know what God's calling me to do. But I don't know that I'm ready to do that yet. Once you start running, it doesn't mean it's going to be smooth sailing. I trip and I fall, right? And hopefully we surrounded ourselves with, with people like you that help us get up and continue the running, continue the race, continue the mission. It's easy to become a consumer Christian, a, a person that genuinely places their faith in Jesus Christ, but then doesn't do anything more. And yet God has called us to bigger and better things. Success in this life is not based on money or power or fame. And if you choose to run towards one of those things, you're going to miss out on a lot of things. Because what we've been called to do is so much greater than that. The experience that we can have with God when we're living on mission is so much more than any of those things. Money is fleeting. Power is fleeting. Fame is fleeting. doesn't mean you can't have a good career. It doesn't mean you can't have money. It doesn't mean you won't experience blessings. But what's the number one priority in your life? We want to ask ourselves every day, how should I live this out? How am I supposed to do this? I'm not bold like a missionary or a pastor. And, and so maybe it's better that they do it. And yet if we look here, Jesus said... I have all authority and I'm telling you, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And I'm saying, go. Tell people about me. And look at the way he ends that. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And so you won't be doing this alone if you choose to run towards him. Your life mission is not you alone. It's with others, but more importantly, it's with him. He's running with you. He's running ahead of you. He's preparing the way for you. So this morning, there are three possible calls for you. For those of you who are sitting out there today. When we think about this big idea of we want to run towards something, right? We either want to run to, or we want to run back to, or we want to run with God. 
And I'm not sure where each one of you is today, but if you're running to God for the first time, if this is the first time that you're believing in Jesus Christ, if you've heard the gospel message, not because of my word, but because of Holy Spirit working in your, your heart today, causing you to be drawn closer to himself, you may be running to God for the first time. And this morning may be the morning you surrender and say, I'm not going to lead the way anymore. I'm going to submit to your way. I'm going to believe in the cross of Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed and his resurrection on Sunday morning. And I'm going to stop running away from him and you're going to run to him. Or maybe the second person I thought about this week is somebody that needs to run back to God. If you've been wandering, if you've been away from him for a while, maybe Christian living hasn't really lived up to what you hoped it would be. And so you've kind of walked away from that. And yet today is an opportunity to say, you know what? I'm going to turn around and I'm going to go back to God. And the incredible thing that you'll realize when you do that is as soon as you turn around, it doesn't matter how long you've been running or you think you've been running. When you turn around, he's right there. And that coming back to him can be as sweet almost as the first time that you came to him. And Jesus is calling you to come back to God. Now, maybe you've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you've been walking that path of discipleship and you've been growing. And Jesus today is telling you, run like you're on mission, like you're doing. And I'm going to run with you. I'm going to run ahead of you. I'm going to prepare the way. And you're going to see incredible things in your life because of the gospel, the good news. And he's going to say, share, keep sharing, share more. Run with the urgency of the gospel, the urgency of the mission. That's what you've been invited to do today. That's what the resurrection invites you to do, to be a part of this story. Let's pray real quick. Father God, I just want to today just to stop for a moment before we start worshiping again. I want to thank you for being a God who is with us. We thank you that if this is the first time somebody's coming to you today, that you are drawing them unto yourself, that you have allowed their eyes to be opened and them to see the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, for those who maybe have wandered from you and are coming back to you today or considering coming back to you today, show them how near you are to them. God is not far from those who seek him. So if you feel far from God, he's just right behind you and he's waiting for you. And for those of us who, who are running with you, help us to run faster. Help us to run better. Help us to not trip over rocks and, and, and over roots and uneven sidewalks. Give us a clear path, a straight path, and yet help us to know that you're running with us. You're preparing the way for us. And you've given us the good news that we need to share with those around us. We thank you for that. No matter where my friends are today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will do the tugging, you will do the drawing, you will do the moving of them back to you or to you for the first time. Help us to know the gospel and to live in that mission. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.